Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Ah, good. Good. That was a good victory by the Oilers. Four-game winning streak. Mm-hmm. Uh, 5-2 win over the Seattle Kraken, a team that they've got to catch. You know, they really want to catch this team, and I think they should be able to catch this team. I, I mean, I don't want to say too negative things about Seattle, but I don't. They don't strike me as a world-beating team, but they have been beating the world. I mean, they just went on an incredible road run. So, um, and the Oilers got a got a tired team here as well. Yes. But um, a- a- excellent to see them beat this tired team in, in a game that the Oilers very much needed to win. Yes. Yeah. Well, they uh, that was one of those ones that was a schedule <clears> loss <throat> from Seattle's point of view. Uh, their ninth. Uh, game in 15 days in wow. eight, eight, eight different cities where the only city that was the same was Edmonton where they started and finished that ridiculous road trip because they had a seven game road trip they went home and they played one game and then they went right back on the road the very next day to play Edmonton That's <sighs> that happened to the, Oilers, happened to the Oilers I would be screaming it did happen to them earlier yeah, this oh, year. yeah and I was screaming yeah yeah <laughs> I keep a close eye on the schedule and when it's unfair. Well, this one was kind of unfair to uh, the Kraken, but uh, so it goes. You still have to take advantage of those. And when I scream the most is when the Oilers get a team at a disadvantage and then don't take advantage. Indeed. Uh, tonight they, they did, and they were full value for the two points and gaining two points on Seattle. They're still three behind, and Seattle's got two in hand, so catching them is yeah. not going to be any easy feat. But uh Looks like the orders are starting to get their stuff together. There's lots of time to catch teams. I mean, the season's mm-hmm. just barely over, half over. So, I mean, the orders are at 46 games. So there's 36 games left for them. And that's a lot of games, a lot of hockey left. Um, Bruce, uh, let's do uh, two good things each. Uh, two good sure. things, two bad things, and two numbers. Two good things each because it was a big Oilers win. What's your first good thing? Yeah, my good thing, number one, is Fogel and the foot soldiers. I thought the... The down the lineup uh, boys really brought it tonight, and uh, not only that did they bring it, they actually got rewarded on about one fifth of their chances that they were actually able to bury. Or in the case of Warren Fogel, one sixth of his chances, uh, which he had uh, several really good ones. He had six shots on net in this game by driving really hard to the net uh, for a, a two-shot barrage. Uh, late in the first, coming out of the corner, the rebound was a really good save by Martin Jones. Uh, he got a breakaway by getting behind the defense and skating. He kind of deked himself on that play a little bit, I thought. But uh, uh, then uh, in the second, he got down and dirty in front of the uh, Seattle net and pounded away at a rebound and from the seat of his pants. He was finally able to lift a shot off the ice when he wasn't standing on his skates. Everything else he had was right on the ice and Jones just sealed the ice off. But uh, he got that one up pretty good and it's kind of a comical goal. And and uh, Louis DeBrusque is going in. He'll t- by the time he tells his grandkids it's going to be a 40-foot snipe. And I said, well, if that was me and I was telling my grandkids, I'd tell them exactly how I scored. I <laughs> see my pants in a National Hockey League game. So it was... Uh, uh, a hard work earned goal and I thought Fogel and uh, uh, guys like Derek Ryan 
A couple of guys, you know, who kind of had a second lease on life today. Because uh, there was talk of one of them guys getting moved on out of town. When, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Evander Kane was ready to return. Uh, or uh, as a secondary uh, uh, effect, lose their spot in the lineup. And, of course, that fell to Yessa Pugliarvi and uh, Fogel and Ryan, who have both been healthy scratches recently, uh, took advantage of their opportunity by each scoring a big goal in this game. Uh, with Ryan scoring the tie-breaking goal, uh, uh, cleaning up a, a, a ju- the juiciest of juicy rebounds and tapping home a one-footer uh, to uh, give the Oilers a 2-1 lead. And then Fogel doubled that lead uh, from the seat of his pants uh, on the one that stood up as the game winner. And it was uh, it was kind of a greasy kind of game. There certainly was any number of greasy goals. Uh, I said to you, I thought that the Fogel goal was probably the second prettiest <laughs> of the night. And even yeah. McDavid's sort of end-to-end beauty, there was a little bit of taint to that one, too, in the sense that uh, Hyman and the defenseman Justin Schultz clashed skates at the blue line. I think the refs got it right. I think it was Hyman was just holding his ground, and Schultz kind of backed into him and tripped over him. But sometimes they call that, but I just thought it was... You know, I watched closely to see if Hyman moved his foot in any way to trip him, and he didn't. And so, uh, but it was not exactly the cleanest of goals when you have a forward coming down on two defensemen, and one of them just suddenly wipes out and uh, changes the whole play. Well, anyway, it was that kind of game where all the goals were, were a little bit greasy, you know, and shots that got through, got tipped on the way in, got tipped in, got shot into their own net. That's how... Uh, uh, Hyman scored the 4-2 goal was by actually not touching the puck and letting e- Eli Tolvin do the work for him. That was so and, sweet. <laughs> that was so, that was so, it was such a great moment in the game because the owners just needed a goal right after that horrible goal mm-hmm. on Jack Campbell. But man, they needed that. Yeah, 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 yeah. They got that break right back. And there was not much doubt after that that uh, that they were in the ascendant and they, they put it away. So, uh, uh uh, shout out to those guys, and including on that list, uh, Ryan McLeod and Dylan Holloway, both whom I thought had really fine games for uh, for Edmonton tonight. And uh, the third and fourth, well, the bottom five, I guess you could call them, uh, uh, played pretty darn well in this game. They really did, Bruce. Um, I mean, I guess the Nugent Hopkins line, what what what's what was that? The third line, the second line. It's even hard to know, eh? They the lines are so. Sec- they were listed second. Of course, the stacked line is number one. Yeah. And yeah. then the Nuge Nuge is generally going to get listed ahead of McLeod, and then the fourth line has got two players on it. So. The um the 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 goal, um the fifth goal of the game was was the prettiest goal of the game. It's all right, um, so. And that was the McLeod goal. Because I just thought from from beginning to end, it was a fantastic goal. Philip Broberry um, did what a defenseman is supposed to do, going back into his oh, own. Yes. And he shoulder he shoulder checked. He checked mm-hmm. over his shoulder, and then as soon as he touched it, he fired it right up the boards where a guy mm-hmm. was waiting because he knew he was waiting there. Mm-hmm. And Holloway made a very nice back pass. Then he he controlled the puck, whipped it back to McLeod, um, who was uh, cranking it up and charged up the ice, put it over to Hyman, who takes it into the corner. And by then, both McLeod and Holloway are going to the net, and, and Hyman picks out Holloway with a 
excellent pass. Holloway puts it off the post and McLeod puts in the rebound. That was a fantastic, that was that was like showtime goal, a fast break and a slam dunk at the end. So um, those are uh, two of the players that you're talking about, unheralded, yes. players, unheralded forwards in Holloway and, and McLeod. Bruce, it'll be difficult, uh, you know, I think Pugliarvi's actually, he's been inconsistent this year. He's been considerably weaker than last year, according to the mm-hmm. way, you know, we chart the games. Okay. He's been about half as effective as last year, um, if that. He was highly effective last year. You know, yes. that said, he was highly effective last year. Mm-hmm. Hasn't got it going on, but he's he's been inconsistent. He's had good games. He's had bad games. He's looked to me more confident at times, um, carrying, making plays with the puck recently. So um, I wasn't surprised to see him out. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been surprised if he had been waived, um, if they had gone that route. Or actually, I would have been surprised if they if they had waived Pulleyarvi. I wouldn't have been surprised with the other two guys. Um, but anyway, um, we'll see what happens. You know, they've got you know as they as they say on the broadcast, internal competition for the jobs now, which is actually really huge. I mean, people really do have to apply themselves and work hard and. Um, <coughs> Otherwise, they're not going to be in the lineup. So we'll see what we'll, we'll, we'll uh, see what happens with uh, Pulleyarvi. But I can't imagine them making a change for next game because uh, that lineup really cooked. Right, and in my defense, when I sent you the note about uh, Fogel's goal being the steady second prettiest, <clears throat> the score was still four-two, and then that that last goal came later. Fair enough. I love that play by Broberg, and he he made. He made two passes in a row one around behind the net and then the second time like say he did that shoulder check and and uh whipped it up the wall so he's looking slick bruce he's looking cleft bomb esque dare i say out there all right uh my good thing my my first good thing is um it it is um seattle you know the you never know who's going to win at the start it's indeterminate and seattle came out and they got an early power play goal and it's looking bad for the Oilers. Um, Fogel then, he, you know, Fogel's, uh, he had five grade A shots, Bruce. All of them were five alarm shots, which means, that, you know, they're, yeah. they're 33%ers, like right in tight and, and excellent yes. shots. Anyway, he got, he, he had his first foray and was stymied. But, it, you know, the Oilers are down one early in the game. If they get down another, like, that's really hard for any team to come back from two goals in the NHL. So they got to get the next goal. And Connor McDavid had had a kind of a weird start to the game. He had been part of the general uh, general kind of um, lack of cohesion, out of syncness on the team. He had been muffing offensive plays. He had muffed a couple of them where on um, plays where you, th- you think he's just going to slice the other team wide open, and he failed to do so. And then he goes back and he gets the puck, and he went through the entire opposing team. And and initially before. <laughs> Before I knew that Justin Schultz had been taken out by Hyman, you know, inadvertently, I think it was inadvertently, mm-hmm. uh, it looked it looked like McDavid's speed was such that that the player just kind of blew up, you know. As as McDavid went by, he got caught in the jet stream. In and the got, jet and stream, got, yeah, exactly. He got tossed, off he got tossed to the <laughs> side. Or he, or he flopped to the ice in panic. You know, it looked like one of those two things. Now we know why Justin Schultz wiped out. I mean, Hyman mm-hmm. did take him out. But uh, that was a fantastic rush by Carter McDavid. And um, his shot was equally fantastic. He is just, um, he, it's, he's such a pleasure to watch. And, and uh, that goal reminds of, re- reminded us all of exactly what he brings night in. Just, just about night in, night out. You know, there's maybe one in 10 games where he's a bit off, but what a player. Yeah. 
Yeah, he he liked. I mean, that was his only point of the game, as happenstance had it. He rang one off the post. The unassisted goal by Hyman that Tolvanen poked in was actually, you know, he was set up right in the slot by Drysaddle and McDavid. But yeah, they wound up. I thought they might get a hometown discount and on that one, but didn't happen. Uh, but they, you know, they were. Uh, I thought the first two power plays were terrible. Be honest, they were. and then the third one they, they really were. dialed it up, but they couldn't. They couldn't get it in. But the first one in particular was just brutal. They were just out of sync for the entire two minutes, and it was. Uh, I was wondering if this hometown arena, so something in the water here or something. I heard, and uh, that because uh, they didn't look anything like for maybe the first five minutes of the game, they didn't look anything like the team that had won those three straight road games. And then McDavid got that one, and from there on, it was game on. And, you know, this this game, it was a hell of a battle. It, it, the physicality it was in this game was, was really intense. And, and uh, uh, yeah, look at that. Hits 43 to 36 for uh, for Seattle, and it was heavy, heavy going in, uh, uh, in uh, all areas of the ice. And players giving, taking it back and giving back some more and uh, – uh, it was uh, some pretty pretty rugged going there. Seattle didn't go down without a fight. They didn't have a whole lot of of juice, but they sure didn't just roll over. And, and no. uh, so well, Bruce, it was uh, it was a battle. Let me do my second good thing here because sure. it's in chronological order. Because I I think one of the things that turned around this game mm-hmm. was the defensive play of Leon Dreisaitl. Mm. And in the first period, um, especially, I noted twice. He came rocketing back on uh, uneven rushes, and he broke up two of them. And um, I noticed him in the defensive zone consistently taking the man, playing the body. Um, you know, he went full Mark Messier on Carson Soucy late in the um, second period, cross-checking Soucy into the boards in retaliation. And this was this this was also typical of Messier. He wasn't necessarily the instigator, but if you provoked Messier. Oh. He would he would make you pay like you like you don't you were paying the iron price for Mark Messier, and and that's what happened with Drysaddle cross checking Susie just just full Messier on that one and I completely approve. DeHarnay did the same and they they actually you know there's a replay during the game DeHarnay battling one of the these saddle forwards and just giving it to him and man that, with that replay, there's a certain percentage of Oilers fans who just love physical play. And you and I are kind of among them in our own way. Uh, but there's a certain percentage who, who really just rate the players uh, on mm-hmm. that. Like, it, And if they don't have that, they don't have nothing. Right. And they're going to be like, they're going to be liking uh, Vinny the Giant just uh-huh. about now because he is a tough, he's one tough uh, customer um, out on the ice. Anyway, Dreisaitl's defensive play, um, all game long, I noticed he didn't. Hit, so he he kept a clean sheet at eight even strength. Not one mistake on a grade A shot against. I, I really like him on the wing at this point. I, I do think that that he is ailing a little bit. I'm not exactly sure sure what, but um, <clears throat> I, I think they should generally speaking keep him and McDavid together or put him in with McLeod at center and um, let him do his thing on the attack at even strength. Um, but when he does chip in like that defensively, the orders are a different team. Um, they are 
it's just one indication they're going to be completely dialed in in their own zone. And you can see that. You know, I mean, they allowed only two five-alarm uh, scoring chance shots. So that's that's outstanding work from the Oilers. Yeah, Natural Statric had high danger <clears throat> chances at 19-3 to three for that's Edmonton, including 15-2 at 5-on-5. Five five. Yeah, was, it was uh, stomping in a lot of ways. In, in many ways, yeah. I, I, I remember one sequence of Leon. This was actually in the... Uh, in the offensive zone behind the Seattle net uh, in the second period. This is the Susie one I was talking and, about. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, we're Susie. Oh, he just crunched him with a clean hit, and then two other guys came in, and they both kind of gave him the cross check, gave him the lumber in the back, and Leon says, "Enough of this," and he just folded the guy. I think it was Susie up with a just a vicious cross check. Couldn't believe it wasn't called. Just folded him like a cheap lawn chair and it's behind the net. And I heard the, hey, go up. And then the puck was, you know, they won the puck battle and the puck was up and gone. It was like, yeah. just don't mess with this guy. And it's it's, uh, it's uh, keyword mess. And well, that's what I was saying. This was that, you were looking at stats when I was talking about this, but this was the full, yeah. this is when he went full Messier. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I heard, heard yeah, so I was somewhat distracted. You're right. I was looking at some of the stats, uh, including of my second good thing, uh, which is uh, uh, Edmonton's three young defensemen. I thought they had a very strong game tonight. Uh, the pairing of, uh, of uh, Philip Robery and, and Evan Bouchard. Just kept things really clean uh, in their own end of the ice, and they kept the puck moving north. You know, they didn't have any sort of real great contributions to offense other than they got the puck going in the right direction. And as you pointed out on that 5-2 goal, because all three forwards eventually touched the puck, there was no points to be had for the guys on the back end that were responsible for moving it north in the first place. <clears throat> but move it north, they did. And just terrific um, uh Numbers. I mean, for uh, for Bouchard, for instance, uh, twelve six in shots on net, uh, eight to zero in uh, high danger chances, three to zero in goals, and for Brovery, four to zero in goals, and and both of them just you know the puck spent not very much time in Edmonton's end, and uh, uh, they. Uh, uh, I just thought they showed their their skills at skating and moving the puck and making pretty good decisions with it. And then, of course, the third young D-man is Vincent DeHarnay. He, he only played uh, nine minutes and 50 seconds tonight, so a little bit less than he did on the road trip. Uh, but he was, uh, I thought, mostly solid, certainly very, very tough. He took two penalties. One was for elbowing a guy that he wasn't even looking at. Where apparently, even though he's six foot seven, he needs to keep his elbows uh, below the crossbar somehow. And if he accidentally bops some guy in the nose with one, it's a it's a penalty. And I guess they're going to call it, but uh, yeah, we don't have to like it. But the other one, where the guy was going right to the net, and he, and he, he just chopped him and took the scoring chance away. And I'd take that penalty ten times out of ten, where the guy was. Fairly likely to score, more likely to score than the power play was. And at that point in the game, the only thing you really don't want to have is a quick goal, right? If they take a power play and it takes them 30 or 45 seconds to score, well, there's, the clock was winding down and not all that extra time. In the end, they didn't score at all, but uh, I didn't mind that. But I, I just liked his 
his uh, I, I like his uh, uh, his mental approach to the game. I mean, that replay they showed of him doing the eyes around. Did you see that? When he was just cha- switching his, like he was pretending it was yeah. a game, and he was just had his eyes going in all these different directions. And at the end of it, the puck came to his stick, and he visualized just receiving and making a pass. And I thought, there's a guy who's really got his head in the game. And it shows, like during the game, like his, he's he seems to be aware of where people are, where his opponents are. And uh, uh, tonight he even earned a, a, a well, look. I won't call it a cheap assist, but, uh, you know, he fired a shot from outside into a screen. It got deflected. The goalie couldn't handle the rebound, and there you go. And I think that's his second point already. Yeah, so, that was a semi-Californian, nice a semi-Californian <laughs> verse. Um, you know, and Bouchard, uh, I want to highlight one offensive play that he made because that that um, third goal, critical third goal by Fogel, uh, mm-hmm. that he scored from his back, um, slamming right. in the net. <clears throat> It was it, it only came about like he made a great play, but Drysaddle made a great cross ice pass um, to um, Hyman to, to, as part of the the uh, virtuous cycle. But it, the key, in some ways, the key pass was the first one. Bouchard got the puck at his own blue line and just zipped the puck diagonally, cross ice, blue line to blue line, defensive blue line to offensive blue line to Drysaddle, and that's when Drysaddle broke in. If if Bouchard doesn't have his head up, doesn't make that mm-hmm. fine execute that fine pass, there's no goal there. So that's Evan Bouchard at his best. And I know, like I've heard things like Evan Bouchard's had a rotten season. Evan Bouchard, this uh, I I don't I, Bruce, I don't buy that in the least. I I I just reject that analysis of Bouchard. I think his his offensive play this year has been really strong. He has been exceptional moving the puck. He's been the best puck moving the def- defenseman the Oilers have had in a long time moving the puck this year. And I think a lot of that is wiped out because he has been defensively inconsistent and has had some really, he's had a really bad stretch. Not right now, but he, just a while ago. No, he was on a really, now. he was at a bad stretch. He started off strong though. People forget that. First 10 games, Evan Bouchard was strong both ways. He had a bad stretch on defense. So yeah, you can say that he's, um, needs to get better on defense, and he is. But he's their best puck-moving defenseman they've had in years. And it, if, you, if you don't see that, I just think, well, just maybe I would suggest watch a little closer because because that's what we're that's what we are seeing with him in terms of his major contributions to grade-A chances. He's he's the highest level we've seen in a long time. So It was he who sent the perfect stretch pass to Fogel for the clear-cut breakaway in the last minute of the first period. That's that was, right. That was a beautiful pass by uh, by Bush there. I'm, he's gone 24 games without a goal, which yeah. con- con- continues to befuddle me. Like To me, he's a defenseman who should score a lot of goals. That's in double digit every year. And this year, he, had, he went 20 without. He got three in two games, and now he's got another <clears throat> 24, and he's still stuck on three. And I keep expecting him to unleash that boosh bomb and and it's it's part of the game his game that's a little bit in remission he's not getting the shots through he's not picking corners with it but um uh his overall his uh his uh, game is coming on he just need like last year he needed the veteran presence of duncan keith to settle him down this year he needed the veteran presence of philip rovery to settle him down <laughs> sure seems to be working there's nothing like playing with an old sweet you know <laughs> Put him out there with Lars Eric Schubery and see how that yeah, goes. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's, that's what they've done. There's a uh, mandatory 70s sports reference for everyone. There you go. There we go. What there a player go. he was. What a player he was. What a player he was. Um, yeah, and now, now Evan Bouchard's just minus five all of a sudden, right? Like he he had been getting into pretty ugly territory there for a while. But we'll and see uh, tonight that'll uh, that'll help him. Was, and, uh, I think he was six six four one against in the two California first two California games. I don't even know how he ended up the road trip, but even in L.A. He was on for, for I think all three Oilers goals in that game, and so it's that's starting to level out, regress to the meat. This pair is ripping it up. Is the truth? Like they're really doing well, and we'll see. You know, I I think I said maybe last pos- podcast or one before that we'll see if this can continue. Right? We got to see this consistently for yes. not just three, four games, but yes. fifteen, twenty, thirty games. Like Keith and Bouchard went on that run. So we, that's what we're going to need to see from these guys. Can they can they keep that up night in, night out? And uh, that's the challenge for them. Bruce, what is your bad thing? Yeah, I'm going to go. I didn't see too many bad things when I hate <clears> on the ice tonight. A couple, I guess, obvious things, and you'll talk of one of them. Uh, my bad thing is the condition of Kyler Yamamoto. And in in one sense, his latest injury has come at a at a uh, somewhat convenient time for Ken Holland and that it solved his big headache of how would he get uh, Vander Kane back into the lineup. And uh, by being able to put uh, Yamamoto on long-term injured reserve, which he's done, and of course we don't know uh, much about the injury and whether it's truly long-term in nature, but clearly he was going to be out for a while. He he uh, wasn't feeling right at uh, morning skate on Friday at San Jose. They pulled him from that game. They pulled him from the next game. He was off the ice for yesterday's practice. And Unfortunately, uh, it has all the earmarks of of, uh, of the dreaded concussion-like symptoms. Yeah. And this is a guy who, uh, I'm not sure it's ever documented that he's been concussed. He took a wicked headshot in the Colorado series, missed the last two games of that series. And this year, he got tripped into the boards during one of the preseason games Missed the first game in the season. And that was a point where the Oilers only had 21 men on their roster. And they actually went short a man in the first game. So you know he was hurting. And then he, to my uh, estimation, forced himself back in the lineup because they only had 12 forwards on that short, short roster. And as coincidence has it, the game that Kane got hurt uh, was the game that both Kane and Yamamoto went out of action. Because the Oilers called up both Costin and Yanmark when Kane got, and they got a little bit of cap flexibility. And all of a sudden, there was an extra forward. Before you knew it, Yamamoto was sitting out, and then eventually, I think he did spend time on IR. Uh, and now this, so that's four different uh, stints on injured reserve, or at least out of the out of the lineup for injury-related reasons in eight months. You know that that. Uh, Colorado injury came in early June. Now, now we're in mid-January, seven and a half months, and he's had uh, a number of injuries. It's, it's they're all undisclosed, and yet uh, whispers you hear are concussion symptoms. Whiplash was one thing which is related. I mean, it's very possible to have both of those things at once, and 
the state of his game when he's been in there has been up and down. He's had a, he had a few good games, and I thought he was finally coming around here maybe a week or two ago, and now this. And so it's a uh, uh, it's a big blow for you know an important young player who's uh, on a two year contract that scored 20 goals for the team last year. And at this point, I you know I'm starting to have serious doubts as to whether he will prove to be durable enough to. Uh, stick it out in the NHL. It's not that he doesn't have, he's a little guy. He's got a big ton of gumption, you know, no fear whatsoever. But uh, sometimes those kind of players in particular pay the price because they're, they go where angels fear to tread and they get uh, treated like demons when they get there. The little players who tend to be durable have longer careers. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how tall Theo Fleury was. I don't recall him being too tall, but he was no, thick. short. And Martin St. Louis wasn't tall, but he was thick. And I think, you know, one of the things that might Yamamoto might have to do to stay in the NHL, if he can, is to get thicker, like to to get to to become physically just physically bigger. He's not going to get any taller, but get wider. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'm I'm assuming that you know maybe Point and Fleury just have fundamentally different physiques, or or, or maybe it's just a matter of working on working mm-hmm. with what uh, what they had and, and they built up to that. But that that's what. I think Yamamoto's going to need, and I agree with you, Bruce. It's really disheartening, and we wish him our best because he's such a fantastic hockey player when he's healthy. Um, <laughs> my bad thing is the second Kraken goal, which is kind of really odd. Like, the first Kraken goal was really, you know, deflected and off nurse. That was painful. The second Kraken goal, though, was super painful. And it's not just for the obvious thing. Um, the obvious thing, of course, it went right through Jack Campbell's glove. Um, I don't think there's a hole in there anymore. Hasn't he replaced the glove? Yeah. So, so anyway, he's somehow on a new hole. <laughs> somehow he's digging a hole. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he, he other otherwise Campbell looked so yeah, sharp yeah, that game. game. He looked damn good. He he was moving the puck well, confident, confident in the net. He looks like a different player, Bruce. Yep. Like honestly, looks like a different person than he did from a month ago, and and that is very heartening. Because uh, it, it was getting down, he was down in the dumps, and so were the Oilers fans. But he okay, so there was that mistake. Everyone saw it. Everybody knows that's an obvious thing. The play that I didn't actually, the, the play that I noticed, and, and I mean, obviously, the, wasn't as bad. But there's no goal if Brett Kulak doesn't make the wrong decision. The Oilers are, are up three to one in this game against a tough rival. They got to kill off the third period. Yeah, you, you 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 know, keep going for it. You keep trying to score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but don't make any rash decisions. And he kind of made one. The puck's coming around the boards in the offensive end, and he decided to pinch against two players with nobody back to cover him. And the two players got it out, and they got a they got a rush because of that. Now it wasn't it didn't turn out to be an odd man rush, and the the shot should have was was eminent eminently savable. Mm-hmm. Um, should have had it, obviously. Grade yeah. C, grade C shot for a scoring chance shot. But if Kulak just makes, just decides, hey, why, why am I pinching in here? Right, unless it's an obvious pinch. Right. Why am I doing that at this point in the game when I'm and risking giving up an odd man rush? And they did give up a rush, and the and the other team scored. So, um, just just a little bit of game management there from Kulak. Um, a, a different decision, I think, would have been in order in that position. Yeah, it was a bit aggressive for the situation. I mean, you're, you're going, you've got the two-goal lead, like you say. Uh, to me, you want to go out in the first period, in the beginning of the period, you want to go through 
even a full rotation of your lines and just not give away anything, you know, just, you know, just, just sort of uh, uh, consolidate the score and start working on that clock. Well, when they cut the lead in half after 22 seconds of a 20 minute period, you're not exactly working on the clock. And as you say, you know, it's, we didn't even score him as making a primary mistake because that's a goal that just shouldn't have been scored. But uh, the fact that Seattle had the puck at all and, and even a shot at the net was uh, uh, in, in part due to that decision. And then I thought when he came back, he, he hustled hard to get back to break up what could have been the odd man rush, but he didn't see the danger man. He basically skated right past the open guy who wound up getting the pass. Uh, Vince Dunn, and at that point, when it's a, you got a forward trying to cover for you on defense. Well, you want to go back and play your position in defense, but until you get there, you kind of should take the role of the forward and and uh, identify the open man and and uh, uh, and cover him. So, and you know, a, a real hockey expert might tell me I'm all wet, but that's how I saw it at the time. I thought he he overskated the lane. And then the pass came back across to uh, Vince Dunn, who had a really good game, by the way. That guy is excellent. And uh, he uh, uh, somehow managed to to uh, fool um, Jack Campbell yeah. with, the, with the hard shot. Bruce, what is your numero? <sighs> uh, well... I kind of got to go with Evander Kane. He managed to lead the Oilers in shots with seven, in yeah. shot attempts with 11, in hits with five. And I can't say that he played his A game or really even his B game, but his even Evander Kane's C game seems to involve all kinds of action on the event summary. He's yeah. throwing his body around. He's shooting pucks at, at towards or on the net, and uh, he had. Uh, uh, I mean, he wound up the night minus one. The only order who was able to to do that on a the night they only gave up one even strength goal, and he missed a couple of in close chances that were probably his best ones. But just his presence and his. Um, uh, his ability to sort of pile up these crooked numbers and be involved in the game and maybe tilt the ice a little bit in, in the, uh, in the process with the physicality and the, uh, you know, just the, the, uh, uh, volume of shots and none went in for him tonight. And they might not for a while. Cause I, I didn't notice <clears throat> one shot that I thought had anything on it, but he was just coming back and providing an element of, uh, that uh, uh, the Oilers need. I mean, and we've all liked what Clint Costin's been doing there in the power forward position. Well, I like a team that has both. You know, I prefer a team with a power forward on all the lines, you know. So there's uh, uh, a welcome back to Evander Kane. Ten weeks to the day. Amazing. And it was three to four months was the initial estimate, and he beat the short end of that by three weeks. So. He was he had a good game. I gave I'm giving him a seven, just mm-hmm. you know, plus one for being back. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Bruce, uh, my number is uh, related to the Oilers' dominance in the last four games. This has been their most. This has been their best run of four games this year. 
four mm-hmm. games in a row. Now it is against two of the teams were were weak teams, the Sharks oh. and Ducks, but two of them are, are very good teams, Vegas and Seattle. First and second in the Pacific. So, uh, and I'll just look at grade A shot differential. So the Oilers did have a five-game winning streak earlier this year, and in that five-game winning streak, the the grade A shot differential in each of the five games was uh, respectively eight, four, two, minus one, and ten. So they had two games uh, against the Penguins and the Predators where they dominated, and then in the other games were all very close. And one where the Flames kind of outplayed them just maybe a smidgen and had one more grade A shot. In this run, they've outshot the opposition uh, in terms of grade A shot differential by first game 14, then 11, then 8, and now 11 again. So um, you're getting, if you get on, you know, on average about 11 more grade A, on average 11 more grade A shots per game than the opposition, that's about three or four goals difference. And um, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, three, uh, three goals, three goals difference, um, a little less than three goals difference, expected goals. So that's really, really good. And um, we'll see if they can keep it up, Bruce. This is a, this is an excellent run. You know, I note that um, people were starting to compare the year that Woodcroft was having with the Oilers to, to the year that Tippett had last year in the first part of the season where the team just had no traction and um, was giving up a lot of chances and one bad thing after another was happening to them and they were kind of treading water. Now, Tippett didn't get the chance to turn that around because he was fired and Woodcroft came in. But Woodcroft, it looks like, Bruce, at least in the short term, Woodcroft and his players, got to stress that as well, and his players have turned things around and they have really, really tightened things down defensively. They have really started to thwart the other team on the attack. And i that's fantastic. You know, I, I've been saying all year long, there's one thing that keeps the Simmons team from being a great hockey team, a Stanley Cup contending team, and that's their defensive focus and intensity. And we have seen that in the last four games. And um, they've won them all, and they've deserved to win them all. So keep it up, Oilers. Good work. Yeah, well... This is just for counterpoint, like I often do. I'll cite you the numbers from Natural Stat Trick. <clears throat> and they have in that same four-game span, of course, the order's 4-0-0 with 1,000 points percentage. And they've outshot the other teams 165 to 109, so 60.2% of the shots. Uh, 69 to 31 in high-danger chances, so 69% of the high-danger chances. Uh, simple math for that one. 64% of the expected goals and 73% of the actual goals, 22-4-8 against. They've just been just been on top of it. And they were just the one close game. As I say, two blowouts, but uh, by my math, they played the eighth, seventh, second, and first place teams in the Pacific. So, you know, on balance, they played, you know, they played two two strong teams and two not so strong teams, and they they won all four, and they won the the set of games by a very convincing margin, twenty two to eight. Yeah, I think actually the natural statric numbers um, they support they're, they're yes. similar. They're similar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Usually they're, they they are. <clears throat> they're not. They're never the same, or, or very rarely. Because we're counting the different same. things. Yeah, yeah. But if the ice is tilted, it's going to show up in a variety of different ways. There's one. 
area where we show even more dominance in terms of the five alarm shots, which go mm-hmm. in like 33% of the time on average. In the last four games, the owners have had 38 of them mm-hmm. and the opposition have had eight. Oh. So the owners have just, they've, they have tightened things down in the slot Mm-hmm. And that's where you win hockey games. You're getting 38 great uh, five alarm shots in four mm-hmm. games, and you're only giving up eight. Like yeah, you should, you we're you dying. should win those four games, and the Oilers did. Some of them were a little close. Um, at least the Vegas game was. That was a mm-hmm. that was a very tense game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, this game wasn't that close. And um, well, it was close going into the third period, I guess. But <coughs> the Oilers. Um, she, my my definition of a close game is if it's close enough for the other team to pull the goalie at the end of it. Yeah, fair and enough. And if, if that doesn't happen, and the owners have only won a handful of games all year where the other team didn't at least pull their goalie down the stretch. Like it was literally like two games until recently, the Pittsburgh game and the Arizona game. And now in the last week, in this current four-game streak, they've had three such games. And, you know, oftentimes it's kind of a no-hope goalie pull when you're down by two in the late going. But if it's close enough to pull the net minor, then I consider it to be at least a, you know, competitive game. Well, the Oilers have handily won three where basically both teams were playing out the clock at the end of the game. Well, Bruce, let's leave it there. And uh, we'll talk again on, we'll talk again on Thursday. Thanks for talking tonight. Tampa Bay Lightning. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.